Just think about what he's saying. He says, Father, sanctify, change the church in your truth because your word is truth. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is perfect. He is calling uh, his, his Father's word truth. Hi, and welcome back to Live in the Light. We're so thankful that you have joined us here today. And we're thankful to all of you, our faithful listeners. We're thankful in the many ways that you support us through your prayers, through your notes of encouragement, and even financially. And if you'd like to join in supporting this ministry, be sure to check us out online at liveinthelight.ca. Or you can dial us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's one 844 light. Well, we're continuing on in a very important series here at Live in the Light entitled Glorious Doctrine. And as we've told you before, this is not just truth for truth's sake. This is truth that leads to transformed lives, which leads to lives living out to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a very important series and a foundational series, in fact. And so we've made available on our website at liveinthelight.ca roundtable discussions where Pastor Robbie and others gather in a videoed conference where you can see how these important doctrines play out in your life. So again, be sure to check that out at liveinthelight.ca. Well, today we're continuing on in our study of the doctrine of the Word of God. So let's get our Bibles at the ready. We're going to be moving around as we look at various scriptures. And here again is Pastor Robbie Simons. Notice again, here we have knowledge and love again. Here we have doctrine and duty. Here we have belief and behavior. It's truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Everywhere. Number six, that Jesus insisted on its historical reliability. And wouldn't you know it that in Matthew chapter 12 and in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is affirming some of the most highly disputed biblical stories. So, so if I had to ask you the two most disputed biblical stories... In our day, they would be number one, Jonah. I heard over here, absolutely, yeah, right. Like this whale came up and swallowed Jonah and that could never happen. Give me a break. I mean, what a myth. And the other story would be Noah. Noah, an ark, really? All the animals, God did that? You're gonna actually believe that? What kind of, what kind of dumb guy are you? Whatever. Well, Jesus, Jesus, what he does, make sure you know this too. Jesus in Matthew 12 affirms the story of Jonah. And Jesus in Matthew 24 affirms the story of Noah and the ark. So apparently Jesus thought it was true. Apparently Jesus thought it was historical fact and very, very reliable. It's important for you to understand that. Jesus wasn't afraid of being made fun of because Jesus knows the truth. And seventhly, here's Jesus' view in scripture. Jesus affirmed its scientific accuracy. In Mark 13, he affirms that God created the world. In Matthew 19, he affirms the creation of Adam and Eve. So again, just see what your Savior is saying about the Bible. About the Bible. You know, one thing I think we'll do is um, the things that we have shown 
We're going to put up on our website, all right, for you. I'll have a separate page for you if you want to record these things. I see some of you writing furiously there. Um, we will provide that for you as well, okay? That's my uh, promise to you this weekend. The roundtable will be very helpful in these uh, regards as well. Loved ones, just stop for a second and say, okay, I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff right now. I'm trying to take this in. Why? Why is this important? Because you're learning to value the book you hold, Lord willing, every morning. You're learning to see in a greater degree, wow, this, this isn't just a good read. This, this, this cannot be a check mark to your day. It cannot be. It must be, I am holding that which God has breathed out. I am holding this book that literally God has written for his glory, for my blessing and my benefit. Again, here's like the greatest challenges is how many of you read your word this morning because you love your God? that's what it comes down to. Do I value that which God values most for my greatest benefit and blessing? That's why we're doing this. The more you understand the doctrine of God's word and you apply it properly, the more you appreciate that which holds true value. And of course, in the pursuit of your God and great love. The Bible is God-breathed inspiration. Let's move on to point number two. The Bible is completely true inerrancy. The Bible is completely true in errancy. Let's start with a simple definition of inerrancy. It's this. Um, the Bible is without error in the original autographs. Original autographs is original copy, the original manuscript. Let me say that again. The Bible is without, this is inerrancy. The Bible is without error in the original autographs. Now the terms inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy are all related. So we just learned that inspiration means that God has breathed out the Bible, that God is the source of all scripture. Infallibility means that the Bible is carrying divine authority that cannot be broken. So what the Bible says is, and so now we move on to an errancy, which again means that which is without error or that which is completely and wholly true. Here's another definition by James Cottrell. He says inerrancy, and there's various definitions, but they're all saying the same thing. He says, it means without error, mistake, contradiction, or falsehood. It means true, reliable, trustworthy, accurate, and infallible. To say that the Bible is inerrant means it's absolutely true and trustworthy in everything that it asserts. It is totally without error. Let's do some simple logic as it pertains to why we believe so strongly in inerrancy. And sometimes logic for the Christian is most helpful within the Christian life, or at least way up there with other things. We never stop to actually gather the information and to set up for us. Here's a simple statement of logic as it pertains to inerrancy. Here's what it says, right? It's just, just follow this along. And you probably want to write this down in some way. It's pretty easy to do. Ready? Statement number one, logic statement number one, the Bible is God's word. Either you believe that or you don't. The Bible believes that it is. All scripture is breathed out by God. The Bible is God's word. Logic statement number two, God cannot err. That's what the Bible says. That's what we know to be true about our God. Titus one, he does not lie. Hebrews six, it is impossible for God to lie. So therefore, whatever God says must be true. Whatever God breathes out cannot hold any error whatsoever. Follow the simple logic. The Bible is God's word. God cannot make mistake. He cannot err. Therefore, the Bible must not err. 
Amen is right. That's the basic logic that we find taught within Scripture. Understand that. The only way to get around that is if you deny statement one or statement two or both together. You must disbelieve that either Scripture is God-breathed or that God is perfect. You must deny one of those things to not come to the conclusion that the Bible is without error. Of course, this is uh, begging questions, which I want to get to. And, and just if we touched on this already too, just understand what Jesus, if you take that Jesus was God and that he was perfect and everything he speaks is true, you must then, if you're going to say the Bible has error, you must you must call Jesus a liar. You must deny all the statements we just read about how Jesus views scripture. You must say Jesus was wrong and he spoke false things. Otherwise, you have to admit that what Jesus says and what God says, what the word says, is the Bible does not have error. Let's get some clarifications because that's important. Clarifications on inerrancy because this comes with a lot of questions. I could write down 20 clarifications. Honestly, I chose three uh, for time's sake. Um, again, I hope more will come this week on this regard as well. Here's clarification number one. Some people argue that inerrancy does not appear in the Bible. That's true. The word inerrancy does not occur in scripture. But be very careful with this reasoning. Be very careful you seek wisdom as people try to suggest inerrancy doesn't occur in scripture, therefore we shouldn't teach it. Hold on, hold on. The word trinity doesn't occur in scripture. The phrase substitutionary atonement doesn't occur in scripture. The word Bible doesn't occur in the Bible, all right? But we haven't chosen to throw these things out. So let's just make sure, oh, good point, good point. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Other people argue that the doctrine of inerrancy isn't explicitly taught in scripture. I would agree with that, but it's the same thing with the Trinity. There's no paragraph on the Trinity that says Trinity, definition in the Bible. We're not throwing that way. If you have any kind of orthodoxy, you're not throwing out the Trinity. It's too valuable. We're gonna have a whole message on the doctrine of the Trinity. We just went through the simple logic statement of what the Bible teaches, and sometimes the Bible does that. And so here we are understanding that just because it's not explicitly in there doesn't mean it's not in there. We believe it fully is. Clarification number two. This is important. Inerrancy does not require 21st century precision or scientifically technical language. That's not what inerrancy requires. Here's what I mean. When you turn on the weather channel and they say sunrise this morning is 7.17 a.m. Sunrise, you're like, wow, the weather channel people, they're so primitive. Don't they know that the earth revolves around the sun? Wow, when are they gonna get a clue, man? The sun doesn't actually rise. We don't do that. Because we understand in the context of what they're saying, that's an accepted cultural expression to tell us as the earth is rotating and then we're gonna actually start seeing the sun. Another example is this. You could say to someone, hey, how far do you live from here? I live 10 kilometers. And you're like, wow, you're, I knew you were a liar. You live 9.47 kilometers away. You're such a liar. I can't trust you anymore. I'm never gonna listen to you again. We understand that 10 kilometers is an approximate expression that's not necessarily denying what is fact. It's just saying uh, to help understand. We're allowing the Bible the same thing. Just this week, someone came out to me and said, they looked at my youngest daughter and said, how old is she? I said, she's a year and a half. But technically, let me get this right. My youngest daughter is actually today, one year, six months, 20 days, three hours, and 46 seconds, 47 seconds, 48 seconds, right? Now, was I a liar in what I said being a year and a half? I say no. 
You understand what I'm saying? We must allow the same permission for the Bible to do that never ever denies any truth or changes any truth when they use expressions such as that. And any statement of inerrancy, those things must be included because people start to try to prick holes in things that don't even exist. And then it comes all down to semantics or whatever, meanings and different expressions when it's not even a problem whatsoever. Here's the third clarification. This is probably the most important one. Inerrancy does not mean that copies of original autographs, original manuscripts are without error. Hear me again. Inerrancy does not mean that all copies will be free from error. Copies made from originals, copies made from what God breathed out are only inerrant to the extent that they are copied properly. And I say God is not responsible for the errors made by man and subsequent copies, and yet he is overseeing and guiding this process. But the accusation is made now, well, if you don't have the originals, then how do you know that what you got is actually what God breathed out? But this allegation is empty. Just because we don't possess the original autographs doesn't mean we don't have the original text or the original content. We emphatically believe that we have the original text and well-preserved copies of the original. Again, people say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that if you can't compare it with what's original? Here's what Norm Geiser says. Uh, Mine's tuned for this. He says, the nearly 5,700 New Testament manuscripts we possess contain all or nearly all of the original text. And we can reconstruct the original text with over 99% accuracy. 5,700 New Testament manuscripts in the Greek. Now, if you include uh, languages Syriac, Latin, Coptic, and Aramaic, that means we have 24,000 New Testament manuscripts that scholars are using to come up with what originally was said in the scripture. Here's what, um, by the way, if you, and I I should have, we're going to include this chart again later on this week. If you saw a chart compared to other, uh, uh, other authors or other Uh, literary works. Uh, Homer's Iliad is the second, Uh, 653 copies or something, which has 500 years between when it was first written and the first copy we have. And beyond that, it's like some other guy, I can't remember his name right now. It's like 23 copies and like 900 years between when it was written and the first copy. And the New Testament, everything's within 100 years. Some say even we have fragments within 30 years, 100 years, and 24,000 pieces of evidence compared to the next best, 653, third best, like 28. This is how much we have to stand on reason with reason, the credibility of the New Testament we hold in our hands right now. It's undeniably the most documented resource ever. And any other work can't even hold a candle to the substantial evidence that God has provided and allowed us to see. And as time goes on, as archaeology is, is, is seen through more and more and more, the Bible is held up to be exactly what it says. has never been disproven. Loved ones, take heart, man. Like, 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 be confident. And furthermore, understand this. Understand the difference between text and truth. You can have 100% of the truth without having 100% of the text. Here's an example. Now, I got to warn you here. This statement has 4% error. One letter out of 24 is an error. Watch out. Is it tricking you? Is it tricking you? I'm pretty sure my children can make sense of this letter or make sense of this phrase, but just see what's being said here. 4% error, and you can fully retain, fully retain the truth expressed in this phrase. 
The Bible has uh, 0.01% that's in question. Don't you see? You can have 100% of the truth and still have 99.99% of the original content. You should build your confidence in this. I mean, look at it this way too. Imagine we lost the Charter of Rights in Canada or you know, the United States lost some of their founding documents or if they haven't in some cases already, how do they know they have the originals? Because of the copies that have been well-preserved and made. The hundreds and hundreds and thousands of copies that have been made and preserved. You know you will always have the original content. And then if there's any dispute, you match up the thousands of copies and you find out what is there and what was supposed to be there from the beginning. Listen to what God has said. God has said, I breathe out all scripture. He says, I carried along human authors in the process. And he says, I cannot err. And therefore, every word of God proves true. Proverbs uh, chapter 30. All right, let's keep moving. Point number three. I'm turning the corner here. Point number three. Uh, the Bible um, is enough for me. Sufficiency. The Bible is enough for me, all right? If you see anyone sleeping around you, just give them a big elbow, okay? You say, this is for their own good, all right? This is for their own good. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16. Let's turn there together. Let's turn there together. We care about this doctrine. We love this doctrine. We need this doctrine. Here we go. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 again. The sufficiency of scripture. The Bible is enough for me. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable, listen now. Profitable for teaching, for, uh, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What's this saying? The Bible is sufficient. The Bible, loved ones, is all we need found in the scriptures. The Bible is all we need to truly know God and to live an abundant, godly life. I mean, look at 2 Timothy 3.15. Look at, look, at, look at verse 15. And how from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. See that? By faith in Christ Jesus. See, he's saying the sacred writings, the doctrine, the scriptures, the word of God, these are able to make you wise. They are sufficient to make you wise for salvation. The Bible is all you need to know God and to grow in God in the Christian life. If all you had was the word of God, loved ones, that would be enough. As helpful as extra biblical materials can be, and they are not wrong in themselves, but if ultimately, if you are trying to be a strong Christian parent and you're not building it on the word, you're not getting it. If all you had was the Bible, you could be a fantastically godly parent. Are you relying on the word of God or are you relying on something else? We're helped to see people preach sermons on God's word as it relates to subjects like parenting, but don't be going into the wisdom of the world because you'll end up doing nothing. The Bible is all we need, is what God's saying. It is sufficient for us. That's why biblical counseling is such a big deal in our day. Is it biblical counseling or is it psychology? I'm not saying at times psychology elements of that cannot be in some form helpful, but ultimately we don't need it. We need God. We need his word. We need dependence upon him. Otherwise we're saying, yeah, thanks God, but you're not enough. That's not what the word is saying to us. We don't need the wisdom of man. We need the wisdom of God. He's called us to live in his word. So here's what we're learning. The Bible's enough for me. The Bible's enough for me. I must live as though that is true. Application to this, uh, attend a church that preaches it. I mean, really preaches it. This is, this is not preaching God's word. I'll open your Bibles. I'm gonna read a, uh, read a scripture, close the Bible and then walk on, do something else and start talking about stories about himself or whatever it is, making people laugh and at the very end, not even going back to what's said. That's not preaching the word. 
I'm tired of people, I preach the word, I preach the word, really, really? Well, show me that you're actually getting everything you have from the word of God. This is the focal point. This is your thesis. This is what you're depending and relying upon. And this is the doctrine you hold to your whole life and the whole church is built upon. Show me that. Because in too many cases, it's lip service to God, but they're not actually doing what God says. Not trying to judge, but I am. Because just too many times, it's just too blatantly not right. And how do we do How do you go through what God has said about his word and all of a sudden just let it off to the side somewhere, taking up 2% of what you're doing in the gathered setting of the body of Christ? You would never go on to things that just want to make people's ears tickle because you'd be like devastated if you weren't in what God has said. Because the Bible alone is sufficient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upset some people by saying some things I just said. So be it. I mean, that's the point of God's word. It's amazing to me what people get offended by when I just look down and be like, that's just what God said. Oh, well. Attend a church that preaches it. Go to a small group that learns it. Be in a discussion setting that focuses on the word of God that you may grow. Be a family that reads it. Be a family that prays it. What else are you gonna do? Watch Oprah. Grow a faith that stands for it. A faith that stands for the word of God. Love a savior that dwells in it. See, it's the savior of God that dwells in the word of God. That's why, remember last week, Jesus says, it is they that testify about me. The scriptures testify about him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, it says in Colossians. So here, this is how important the Bible is. So this is why if Satan's gonna attack one thing, he's gonna attack the foundation of the word of God. And he's gonna attack it. It's what J.I. Packer says. He says, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop people from digging into the Bible. I should do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalent of pits, thorns, hedges, and man traps to fighten people off. See, because the Bible is sufficient. It's enough for me. Point number four, we're getting to the end. I appreciate your attention so much. It's such a blessing for me. I pray you got seven more minutes in you. The Bible can be understood, clarity. And this point is really as simple as what we just said. The Bible is not just for scholars only. Loved ones, look right here, look right here, look right here. You can understand the Bible, all right? You can understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the one who can convey these truths to most simplest of people in the world's terms. And often that's what God does. But again, hear this, hear this, hear this. It will take hard work. If you're going to grow in this, you gotta take some notes. You gotta ask some questions. You gotta open up the word. You gotta review this message. You gotta go uh, get a book uh, helping you understand in further detail about the Bible. You gotta understand what's happening here. You gotta talk to people. You gotta learn more. You gotta decide that you're gonna take the opportunity to grow in the things that God has revealed to us about his word. And it's gonna take some work. I'm just telling you, there's too many Christians that aren't willing to put in the work. Why, why, here's why. Because they don't value the truth. There's no other reason for it. The reason you spend something on something you love is because you love it. The reason you took several minutes this morning to get ready in a special way with clothing or makeup, whatever it is, the reason you practice in your driveway in the basketball hoop for hours at a time, it's because you value it. It's because you love it. The reason you pour over your financial statements and making sure you got something there and you can use and saving up for it is because you love it. It's because you value it. The reason you will grow in the word of God and you will believe it, you want it to be clear for you and you'll study it is because you value it. It's because you love your God ultimately. 
because you are understanding this is infinitely more valuable than anything else I will do with my life in terms of truth and content and life change. This literally is of eternal value. Here's what's so exciting for me. Psalm 19, verse seven. Listen to this, I love this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Has that ever happened to you? Has God's word revived your soul? You know, I hope it has. I mean, I hope it has. Anyone, 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 anyone? Good, a few of us, that's so, that's so encouraging. But I mean, it's when you open up God's word and you read it and it goes boom, like in your mind and in your heart, like it's wow. And you're like, oh, I see God. And, and all of a sudden you can wake up depressed. You can wake up so discouraged. You can wake up in a place where you're like, oh, I don't want to go on this day. And all of a sudden, God's word's open. He speaks to you. He renews your mind. He fires up your affections. He sets you on a path. You're like, that is awesome. That is what God does through his word. He revives a soul. And this is what's so encouraging too. The testament, this is, this, is, this is hope for all of us right now, especially me. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Woohoo! right? God loves to do that. He loves to take those who the world kind of shuns and he makes them into something amazing for his glory. He specializes in making wise those who are called simple. And you're here today and you're like, man, I don't think I got much going on. Oh yeah, perfect. You see what God can do with you when you don't think you got much going on, how he can make wise the simple. If you're willing to apply yourself and pray and ask and see again what he will do. Takes us to our last point now. Now the Bible is essential necessity. The Bible is essential necessity. I read for you 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, Timothy, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Understand this, loved ones. No one can be saved apart from the word of God. You must hear the gospel to be saved in Jesus Christ. You must, here's again, you can know there's a God through creation. You only know there's a savior and you're a sinner through the teachings, the doctrine, through the special revelation of God. The scriptures make you wise for salvation. Romans 10, 17, very important for this. Romans 10, 17, the whole explanation of why do we send people? Why do people, but, but faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, the word of God, the word of Christ. So faith comes by hearing, but hearing what? Hearing, it must be by hearing the word of Christ. Uh, I would say even a parallel Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the gospel that is necessary for salvation. In some form, in some way, a person must be saved by being exposed to the truth that they are dead without Jesus Christ. They are sinners uh, compared to a holy God. That by the blood of Jesus Christ, they must place their faith in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for their sins. And as they do that, as they recognize their need of Christ in their sin, in his perfection, in his love, that God sent his son, whoever believes in him, he will not die. In some form, they must hear that message in order to truly be saved, which is only found in the word of God. And that can be done through a song. I got saved through a song, but it was the gospel in a song that was rooted in 22 years of upbringing in the faith. And God just exploded it in a moment through a song. I'm a sinner in need of a savior, never the same again, taking all those years of the gospel essentially, and then just exploding it into eternal life where everything all of a sudden made sense. And I could see Jesus as clear as day. This is what's happening. The Bible is, Necessary it is essential for salvation. Listen, listen, and for sanctification. The Bible is necessary to grow. This is why, if a church closes the Bible, that church will not grow spiritually. They can't. 
Without the word of God, you cannot grow spiritually. You might grow numerically, which means nothing, by the way, if you're not growing spiritually. The Bible is necessary for salvation and for sanctification and growth in him. Again, this is the whole tagline for our series. Loved ones, here's my heart. Where doctrine is rightly applied, knowledge and love collide. Hey, Living the Light listeners, listen, you've heard of Black Friday. You've probably heard of Cyber Monday. But if you heard of Giving Tuesday, that's a time again for people who are fired up about ministries like Living the Light to give on Tuesday, November 29th to, again, ministries like ours to see the gospel continue to go forward and lives to be changed through the revelation of God's truth. Did you know that we are kept on the air on this station 100% by generous donors like yourselves? It's so true. We are dependent on you and the support and prayer again of our listeners to continue to see these messages go out and we pray reach so many people again for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this year we're excited to say we had a special donor step up and they are willing again to match gifts up to $25,000. They're going to match again all donations up to that amount towards living the light in this giving season. So hey, maybe right now you you would consider being used of the Lord to uh, see how you can be used to give generously, to live in the light that will continue to reach people. Again, a donor is going to match up to $25,000. We're so thankful for that donor and thankful for you for considering being used in this way at this time to see light shine in the darkness and to see those again without hope to find the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Bless you all for prayerfully considering such things. And that's all for today. Join us tomorrow at Live in the Light.